Jen, it's Fantasy Festivus and time to air your fantasy grievances. Who let you down this week? This week, my guy is Tony Jones. <laughs> you know, so I fell for Tony Jones during draft time, right? He was kind of a training camp darling a little bit. I was like, he's going to be great backup to Kamara. Drafted him a couple times and then, of course, dropped him, you know, as, as, the, as the season went on. And then this week, I picked him up, fell for him again, and then I had a full Thanksgiving Day panic and put him in. 16 rushes for 27 yards, a whopping 1.7 yards per carry for old Tony Jones. He had 2.7 half PPR points total throughout the course. And then you're sitting there on a Thursday with that on your lineup. You're in your lineup. It was brutal. (laughs) Tony Jones, adios. I'm done with you. Just depressed going into the weekend after that Thursday night. No, I'm with you. Disappointing in Tony Jones. Uh, Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles. With me are my excellent co-hosts, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm actually I immediately went to the gym to try and start working off all the food that I have on Thursday. So hopefully, uh, you know, my my pants will fit a bit better over the next couple of weeks. I know that one thing for sure. Uh, while like my uh, my body might not be a little bit lighter, my wallet sure is. After playing a bunch of DFS on Thursday, that certainly didn't help things overall for this season. But overall, I mean, it was a good holiday. Got to hang out with my family. Uh, definitely had at least a day where we just didn't do anything over the week so it's glad to be back try and get back into the swing of things as we get into i mean we're almost at playoff season for fantasy so i mean yeah let's let's get into it uh but jen how are you doing other than being mad at uh at tony jones i'm doing well as well i uh certainly ate a crap load of food um as expected on thanksgiving um i will say though i was actually profitable on thursday dfs look at you exciting for me i know nice i uh yeah it was a good week for me there uh, but yeah, you know, I'm enjoying it's crazy here. In, I live in Denver and uh, it's apparently still summer here. Uh, I've been wearing shorts for the entire week and the forecast is still in the 70s coming up. Uh, it's scary, obviously, for the climate or for the planet, but uh, it's pretty nice. It's, you know, the last two days of November, I'm wearing shorts and flip flops in Colorado. It's kind of odd. But uh, overall, you know, had a great uh, week. Unfortunately, we're kind of back, kid back to school, all that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, overall, good. Uh, Chris, let's let's talk about surprises for the week. So one of the first surprises that I know a lot of folks are talking about over the past few weeks is like Tom Brady and just like the Bucks like passing game overall. I know that if you're you know, if you're rostering, let's say Leonard Fournette after seeing his four touchdown performance overall, you're probably happy with the way that the Bucks offense has been going. But if you're rostering Tom Brady like I am in the Scott Fishbowl. Uh, probably not as happy with the way things have been going the past few weeks as compared to the first few weeks. I mean, the last three weeks, 11.2 points, 19.2 points, 13 points. He's now thrown at least one interception in four straight games. I mean, it's just, it's difficult for me to wrap my head around what's different about Brady and the Bucks passing game from what we saw at the beginning of the season and what's going on like right now. I mean, so Jen, so I'll turn it to you first. How are you perceiving Tom Brady at this point? Do you think that it's more of, you think it's the age thing, the age cliff that people have been talking about for Tom Brady for the last, what, five-ish years? Or do you think this is just something that, I mean, they're going to shake it off. They at least have, I mean, one of the better offenses in the league. And for fantasy managers right now, I mean, really, there's no other, like, real options that you would consider over Tom Brady. So you're just trying to ride it out at this point? 
I think it's a combination of all of that. It's funny, when I saw that he was a topic we were going to talk about, my initial thought was just, okay, it was Tom Brady on the road. It was a bad game. I didn't realize until you just announced the stats because I haven't really paid too much attention to him as far as numbers go. I didn't realize it was that bad in the last few weeks. I was kind of prepared to talk about Tom Brady on the road is not, you know, Tom Brady at home. He never has been. Uh, but I think – I don't think it's the age thing. I, I think – I mean, it will happen. Look, we all – father time is undefeated. It, that's a thing. It's real. Uh, Tom Brady has defied it for as long as he possibly can. I don't think it's quite there yet. I think Tom Brady is one of those guys, as we always know, when it gets towards crunch time at the end, he somehow will make it happen. And it's Tom Brady. I, I just don't, you know, I think it's one of those things, you know, in a, in a single QB league, I mean, you may, I guess, want to see if there's anyone else out there, but there really isn't. And you're going to end up playing him. Yeah, I think that's pretty much like where I'm at right now, because looking at their, at least the the teams that they've played like so far, I mean, they haven't had like the best of schedules. I mean, now to start the season, things were looking great based off of some of the matchups that they had, but thinking about how things are going to be with them moving forward, looking at their matchups as we like kind of slide into uh, the fantasy playoffs. I mean, they've got uh, Atlanta this week, like here in week 13. So I'm sure like folks will want to play uh, Tom Brady this week. They've got uh, Buffalo afterwards, then New Orleans, and then Carolina. I mean, New Orleans, yeah, they're pat- I mean, their uh, their secondary is one that can technically be beat, uh, be beat because we just saw uh, Josh Allen do that against them on Thanksgiving. Carolina looks like they're kind of slipping backwards as well. So it's possible for Tom Brady in order to get back to that QB1 status to be expected earlier. But Brandon, I mean, kicking it over to you, one of the things that I did find kind of digging into the numbers a little bit i mean they're i mean overall i mean the passing attack has been one of the best like in the league at least from a volume standpoint i mean they've been top five top six in terms of pass rate over expectation for the entire season but one thing that i have noticed is that their passing on first down has typically gone to the wide receivers the primary wide receivers and mike evans chris godwin but then also rob gronkowski and now it's just kind of funny to me that it could be coincidental. It could be a correlation between the two. But in those weeks that Gronkowski was out due to the injury with the cracked ribs, we saw the efficiency for uh, for Tom Brady kind of dip in terms of EPA per play on first downs. We also saw his fantasy production also start to dip as well. Now it's picked back up. I mean, now that we've started to at least... Uh, Gronk is back. They've also found at least uh, more of the spark with Leonard Fournette being a part of the passing game as well. So, I mean, Brandon, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that there's a way that the Bucks can essentially reinvent themselves as they start to get healthier. So I think, are you on the same page as Jen? I mean, just kind of let it ride out, not too many other options, and just like kind of let Tom Brady be Tom Brady? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I, I don't like six picks in four games. That doesn't make me, like, super excited. But, you know, the Bucks are still scoring a lot of points. Uh, they're still pretty heavy on offense. His average uh, yards per attempt is right on par with what it was last year. He's still got 30 touchdowns to nine interceptions. That's still pretty efficient. And he's still Tom Brady. So he is 44 years old, which baffles uh, every little every single sense that I have within me uh, that he can still play at this level at age 44. But he's doing it. Uh, he has great weapons. He's in a pass-happy offense. I think ultimately you're going to figure it out. And then like you just said, Chris, I mean, quarterback is hit or miss this year. And it's not something that you could just say, okay, I'm going to go away from Tom Brady and stream because you're not going to find somebody uh, that's going to give you even what Tom Brady is giving you on his uneven performance week. So uh, I'm just kind of holding off. Uh, I am excited about Leonard Fournette, but I've, 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 he's quietly had a really good season. So it's not really, I mean, four touchdowns is shocking, but his usage, 
usage isn't really shocking this stage of the game because he's been good all year. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not I'm not worried about Tom Brady. I'm worried about some of the other quarterbacks, but not Brady. Right. And I think that's that's the best way to kind of think about Brady and what his, I guess, path could be moving forward from a fantasy perspective. Uh, but now let's go ahead and kick it over. We were talking about Leonard Fournette and that running game, but let's kick it over to, I mean, my backyard, my, my Cincinnati Bengals. And talking about Joe Mixon, now I know part of the offseason discussion was, could Joe Mixon be that bell cow back that might have been available in the second round of drafts when everybody was looking at, I don't know who it was like back then, let's say it was Austin Eckler being available in the early parts of the second round, Antonio Gibson, who's going, who's playing actually right now as we record, uh, I mean, any of those guys that were around there, but it was the that conversation around Joe Mixon, can he get the workload especially coming into this season without having Geo there. Uh, we thought that the Bengals were going to be more of a pass-first type of offense. But now looking at that workload, I mean, if you compare uh, Joe Mixon to any of the other running backs on the team as of right now, I mean, he's averaged, I mean, throughout the entire season, I mean, he's averaged like a 88% opportunity share. At least that's compared to, I mean, Samaji P. Ryan, Chris Evans, so on and so forth. But then also looking at the target share as well, I mean, he's averaged at the very least a 60 to 70% target share like over like throughout uh, throughout most of the season so far. I mean, he's been seeing also, I mean, five, six targets, about five and a half targets per game over the last four games. I mean, Jen, he's shaping uh, from an opportunity standpoint. He seems like a bell cow back, the type of running back that you would draft in the first round. So I would consider him to be an RB1 throughout the rest of the season. Are you looking at him the same way? And then what would you think about him for 2022 as well? Are we talking about him being a first rounder? Well, first of all, I want to say that I publicly was absolutely wrong on Joe Mixon. I have, I was. Me too. I have, I have to share that crow, Jen. Just yeah, so you know. I mean, I was adamantly against drafting him. I didn't feel like the offensive line had improved enough. I just didn't think that he was going to be who he has become. Um, and I mean, it's pretty impressive, you know. And I know, like this week specifically, he he had 32 touches, and I guess he's you know he's he's fourth in total touches on the season. Uh, and he is fifth in touches per game at 21.3. So, like you said, the workload is there. Um, they're obviously able to get the holes for him and get him to put up those points. And so, yeah, I mean, it's impressive. I feel like for some reason, though, he is that guy that, that, that people don't want to invest in, and so I don't know if he will be a first-rounder next year. I feel like he should be uh, because there's some guys that might, you know, slip a little bit per se. Uh, like, like, like your McCaffrey's, you know, I think people are definitely going to be off of him a little bit. He may not slip out of the first round, but I don't think he's going to be your guaranteed one, one next year. I think there's going to be a shakeup there. So I think that, uh, Mixon's one of those guys. It's kind of polarizing and that people for some reason don't like him, you know, myself included. Um, and so I don't know if he will necessarily be a first rounder, but I think he should definitely be in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And here's hoping that at least the efficiency and the production can continue on for the rest of the season. But Brandon, I mean, it's tough to argue with the production from a fantasy perspective. He's now been, I mean, looking at his fantasy ranks over the past like four weeks, second, fourth, fourth, and second in terms of RBs and PPR over the last, over the past like four weeks. On top of that, I mean, right now the Cincinnati Bengals from an offensive efficiency perspective, they're ninth in rush EPA, I mean, this has been a team for, I mean, time in memoriam, 
They've been back in the league in terms of being able to generate efficiency from a rushing perspective because that offensive line has been such a problem for them. So to see not only Joe Mixon be productive, but the Cincinnati Bengals as a whole being an efficient running team, I mean, we're in completely uncharted territory. So I can understand some of the trepidation in trying to draft Joe Mixon at least high or continue to ride him throughout the rest of the season. But, I mean, are, do you agree with Jen? I mean, should we continue to value him as a running back one? And then looking into 2022, I mean, are you also projecting him to be one of those, let's say, at the very least, let's say a top 12 type of picker, like kind of right outside that first round looking in on uh, like f late first round, early second round type of pick? So I have to apologize. Uh, we said dip a lot when we talked about Tom Brady, and now Freak Nasty is just going over and over again, repeating my head. So I'm a little, I'm a little, Classic. I'm a little, I'm a little disheveled just in my head. <laughs> I'm thinking Joe Mixon, and then I put my hand up on your hip, and then I think you know 13 touchdowns, career high so far. When I dip, you dip. That's all that's going on in my head right now. But uh, <laughs> beside that, beside my insane brain. Uh, excited about ADP next year, excited to see where these guys land, because Mixon seems, for all intents and purposes, like somebody who should climb up there. He's catching the ball, he's active, uh, you know, in the passing game, and then the 13 touchdowns are what I really look at. I The fact that he's getting that kind of usage and that kind of um, end zone production tells me that it's sustainable. It's going to go with his workload. It's the kind of thing that we expect to see. The Bengals offense moving up, kind of going on the upswing uh, in their development right now. Uh, I'm buying this as who the real Mixon is. And it feels weird because I, I was so in on him three years ago and then I was out after getting burned. And then uh, now I'm just, I, I'm basically uh, not trustworthy about Joe Mixon. I'm apparently just going with the flow behind everything. <laughs> behind the curve on everything with Mixon but I I think we're seeing we're we're seeing basically who we've all wanted Joe Mixon to be for five years now and uh the touchdowns are a great great indicator of it I will probably barring injury I will probably view him in, in at least in that late round late first round territory I, I'd like to see him catch the ball a little more he's got 30 targets that's fine that's not but that's not something that's gonna like propel him above like the major pass catching backs but you know Still, it's enough passing down work uh, to keep me interested. And uh, like Jen said, just the, the usage, I, I don't see that going away. Right. And I think that's one of the things that once we get to the end of the season, trying to uh, trying to project what early offseason ADP is going to look like, folks are going to just look right at those end of season totals. They're going to see mixing up at the top. I mean, at the very I mean, it, looking at projecting things forward, what? Christian McCaffrey, we really can't think about him in terms of him being like the 101 for next season. Derrick Henry, injured. I mean, Alvin Kamara, injured. I mean, most of the players that we were looking at as top five, top six backs have now either been injured or were at least have some sort of uncertainty regarding their workload for 2022. Then there will be Joe Mixon, probably sitting right next to A.J. Dillon if folks continue to have their way with uh, with Aaron Jones's injury. But at least I think there's enough there from his production and efficiency for us to consider him a first round pick at the very least a late first round pick but we'll see how things turn out for my Bengals as the rest of the season unfolds hopefully they can break the playoff curse but I might have already jinxed them but we'll see how things change over the rest <laughs> of the season uh, but last guy last surprise or at least that that I want to talk about uh, is this Miami Dolphins offense as a whole and particularly Jalen Waddle I'm so excited to see 
what they what that offense is going to look like in the future. I, I hope that they stick with Tua this whole Deshaun Watson to Miami thing. Uh, hopefully that fizzles out and they continue to build around like those two pieces like right there. And we really saw yeah. Why you gotta even bring up Deshaun Watson? You got two Dolphins fans on the podcast. I'm just, just saying you, it's you know, out there in the ether. I'm you get trying us, to at least you get contextualize us ex- what's yeah, going on. You get us but all excited. You bring up Jalen Waddle. I know Jen's probably doing the Waddle. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing the Waddle in my right. seat. I'm excited. I'm excited. Two looks good. I wish Four we had wins video in a row. This exact right. Way, so I can see you doing the Waddle in your seat. I think. I think that that is a better concept than than reality, Jen. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. It's exciting to think of me doing the bottle while doing this podcast. Uh-huh. Viewing it is just depressing. I spilled a little beer. It's not. It's not a good look. But not not a good look. Yeah. But I, I've decided I'm going to put a moratorium on Deshaun Watson to Miami talk solely for my own psyche, Chris. And I, I'm sorry for interrupting you. You, you, you this need is that important. for your own fandom. I understand I that. <laughs> I know you. I, hey, believe me, after 20 years of being a Bengals fan, you need to put yourself in the right frame of mind in order to evaluate the team properly. And if, like, you know, if we're putting. Uh, you know, an ex-nay on the Otson way like type of discussion. <laughs> I can understand that wholeheartedly. But let's focus on the good things. I mean, what, nine for 37 and a touchdown? Or nine for 137 and a touchdown this past weekend. We're seeing Tua being able to operate behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And it's funny looking at that game in particular, seeing them, the Dolphins playing against the Panthers. Panthers also having one of the worst offensive lines in the league, but we see Cam Newton hit historic lows in terms of completion percentage, completed passes, so on and so forth. I mean, five completed passes for Cam Newton behind that offensive line. Winds up getting benched for P.J. Walker, who then immediately comes in and gets sacked multiple times. But on the flip side, you see another team in the Dolphins with a poor offensive line, but they're able to work around it. We've now seen Tua... Since he's come back from injury, he's now third in terms of time to throw. That's per next-gen stats. And whether it's uh, the other two guys in front of him are Ben Roethlisberger, forget about him, but Tom Brady as well (laughs) from a passing perspective. And so that's how they're overcoming their poor offensive line. And Waddle, since he plays primarily in the slot, I think there's only like two games where he hasn't played over 50% in the slot. So on top of the fact that he plays in a position that is conducive to short passes. He plays with a quarterback that has been doing nothing but short passes, short, quick passes, and Waddle's been able to capitalize on that. I mean, look, he is now ninth in the entire league in yards after the catch. I mean, he's up there with Tyreek Hill. Cooper Cup is first. I mean, because Cooper Cup is first in everything. But over the past month, he's averaged 33 yards after the catch. I mean, it's ridiculous what he's been able to do. I'm just hoping they continue to build around him. So, Jen, I'll talk to you since after Brandon's outburst. I mean, how are you looking at (laughs) Jalen Waddle as a wide receiver, not just for this year, but just like even moving forward for next season? I think it's exciting. First of all, I will say that I don't know, you know, I guess we'll never know, but I think it's, you know, he absolutely benefited from the fact that both Devontae Parker and Will Fuller have been out the entire season. I mean, you know, in and out, but basically out. So I think that was really great for him in his rookie season to be able to kind of be the the team's wide receiver one by default. And the talent was there. So, you know, I just, I don't know if the breakthrough would have happened had they had a full staff. Maybe it would have. I don't know. Um, you know, Jasicki really hasn't done much. I actually debated putting him in my drops column this week, but I didn't do it. 
Uh, so yeah, I think it's exciting for the future. You know, as as someone that has uh, followed the team for you know over forty years, uh, you know it's been a long time since since the Dolphins have been exciting. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say they're all the way there quite yet, but you know there is a future there. And and if they hopefully invest into it and keep him, uh, then you know those two I think could be a really nice duo. Uh, you know in the future. So Brandon bringing in the. Dolphins fan himself. Do you think that the Miami has been able to show or at least justify taking Waddle where they took him in the draft? I mean, as of right now, over the past month, averaged a 24.9% target share within that offense. We know what his production has looked like. The opportunity is obviously there. And so if they, what, build along that offensive line, maybe invest in a, let's say, a healthier wide receiver or two, I think this offense is going places. So, Brandon, what do you think about not just Waddle, but that entire offense as a whole so far? I think it's on the upswing. Uh, you know, I, I, I like what we've seen from Tua, Jalen Waddle. I think, uh, you know, we can still quibble over whether or not him at six is the best pick and is the best number six pick or whatever the case may be. Like, we can talk about that and quibble about it. But the truth is, he's been good. And uh, you, to me, you never really argue a good pick, right? <laughs> like, like, like uh, you argue guys that don't pan out. You argue ten gig. You're like, yeah, we should have taken Patrick Willis, right? But Jalen Waddle, uh, I don't think there's any reason to to argue about that. Also, uh, another Jalen on the other side of the ball for those IDP league fans. Jalen Phillips coming along. He has uh, three sacks last week, but he also has at least a half a sack in four straight games. So in in leagues where you need someone and Jalen Phillips uh, qualifies as a defensive end because some leagues he does. Uh, he's worth picking up as a streaming option because a lot of people aren't paying attention to him. Just a little bit of IDP content. Sorry about that. We got Jalen and Jalen in Miami, which is nice. Uh, all the offensive, give me all the offensive linemen and give me a little Philip Lindsay, which we'll talk about later. Uh, I like the one-two punch in the running back. I think that we're going to be able to continue to count on Miami to at least put some points up on the board, whether or not they continue to win uh, the way that they've been winning lately against, uh, let's let's just say, inferior competition. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is as the schedule gets harder. But I do think that the offense is light years different now than what it was the first couple weeks of the season when they were dealing with injuries at the quarterback position and some growing pains with some new additions. So uh, I, I think it's nice. I think Jalen Waddle's justified. I think he's going to be a longtime fantasy asset. And I'm excited as a Dolphins fan. Yeah, and I think even from a dynasty perspective, you have to be somewhat optimistic about Waddle and his prospects moving forward. I know that it might be difficult looking at him in the proper lens, which is just he is a slot receiver. And like I know the uh, especially the comparisons coming out were that he was going to be what is like, you know, Jarvis Landry, you know, 2.0, like that sort of thing. But really, he started to show at least the ceiling that's possible with drafting a player like him. And especially if they wind up investing in Tua, they wind up holding to the offensive game plan that they've had so far, maybe get a little bit more from an exterior perspective, from getting a primary receiver let's say if they even want to bring back Devonte parker or like you know any of those other guys like for next season i'm hoping that that offense remains intact it's a fun offense so far so i'm hoping that remains the case uh but now let's go i'll go ahead and kick it on back to you brandon like real quick uh let folks know about what they can do with uh with underdog fantasy and what they've got going on right now i will i do want one more thing on Jalen waddle matt Harmon, our friend from reception perception said that Jalen waddle led all wide receiver prospects in the draft with an 80.3 percent success rate versus man coverage 
coverage. So he has the speed and control of the speed, and that's from Matt Harmon, who I like a lot. So uh, worth worth noting that Jalen Waddle, while he is a speed guy, is a slot guy, can beat man coverage according to uh, reception perception, which is a good sign. But listeners, let me tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their brand new Pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or least favorite player's stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Just pick between two and five players and win you some cold, hard cash. First-time depositors should head to 4for4.com slash underdog, claim your free 4for4 Pro subscription, and get $10 in bonus cash to play this weekend. All right, buy or sell segment. Uh, Jen, I want to start with you. This is going to be a lot of backup running backs. going to be a lot of that going on. Uh, but I, I want to start with Chuba Hubbard, who was uh, kind of a fringe RB2 when Christian McCaffrey was missing time earlier this season. He's missing. Uh, we got the news today. Christian McCaffrey's on IR. will miss the rest of the regular season, unfortunately. Uh, how are you approaching Chuba Hubbard? And uh, has he been available in any leagues that you've been in? You know, I think he is actually. I think he's at like 30-something percent uh, roster ship right now on Yahoo. So he's definitely out there. Um, Like you said, he's a fringe RB2. I mean, I don't think that people should pick him up expecting to be McCaffrey numbers because that's just not going to happen. Um, and I think Amir Abdullah might actually cut into to his passing game work too. So I think Chuba's someone, though, that, uh, you know, we're all running back desperate, let's be honest. So I think that, you know, as an RB2, as a flex, I think he's a decent option heading out. I mean, it depends, right? The Panthers were horrible last week offensively all over the place. So um, if they can't get it together, he may kind of be worthless. <laughs> But hopefully not. I think, I think, like I said, I think RB2, RB3 territory is what we can really expect from him. Excellent, excellent. I, I want to go to you. Uh, I want to ask you about two running backs, um, Chris, because both these guys aren't really available uh, right now. But Alexander Madison with Dalvin Cook out, Tony Pollard with Zeke Elliott out for at least the short term. Are these guys RB1 types now, or are they like Chuba Hubbard, RB2 uh, you know, roster fillers? I mean, Alexander Madison for sure, because we saw that when Dalvin Cook was actually out of the lineup earlier in the season, was that around like weeks three, like week five, uh, somewhere in there? Uh, I mean, they put Alexander Madison essentially into the Dalvin Cook role. I mean, looking at the number of routes run, like he was like second, third in the team in terms of routes run, also had like 14 targets over those few weeks when Cook was inactive. So at least from a rushing opportunity perspective, also from a targets perspective as well. Well, like we saw him be able to be used in that RB1 fashion because we saw, I mean, if it wasn't just us, like from a season long fantasy perspective, reacting to Madison's opportunity, I mean, heck, I mean, DFS players like were immediately like, you know, trying to get to like, see how many lineups they could build with Alexander Madison, like in the lineups and seeing the uh, efficiency also come as well from Madison. I think it spells out like quite a bit for uh, quite a bit of opportunity for him like moving forward with Cook being out. In Wangu, uh, I'm I have some concerns with because he's primarily been a special teamer. We saw him get like on the kick returns and whatnot. We see the speed, we see the shiftiness, like all the things that we would want to see even from a complimentary back, but it's just will Zimmer wind up using him in that fashion and will he get any sort of carries and any sort of productive means for him to be a fantasy asset moving forward I would like to see I mean I as a uh, dynasty player like I'm trying to stash him in as many rosters as I possibly can if he's out there on the waiver wire go grab him and stash him but for right now without really seeing him being used and being deployed I don't see how he can wind up being a guy that we can rely on so 
You can pick him up if you have a deeper bench and you really don't have any sort of asset sitting on your bench that you know you could probably see yourself using over the next few weeks. But for right now, my focus is really just on Madison, and then that's about it, at least from the at least from that team and who we could pick up. Jen, or, uh, do you agree with Chris on uh, Kenny Dewangu? Do you think uh, he's a stash option for you, or are you kind of ignoring him? I think, like Chris said, if you have a deep bench, why not? Because you never know what can happen. But, you know, we have a limited time left, and there's limited sample size of what we can see him do. So I think if you're in a super deep league and you need him, sure. But uh, there's probably some better options out there for you. Is Tony Pollard a uh, legit RB1 now with Zeke out, Jen? I think possibly, yeah. I mean, he's been, I've been, listen, I've been playing him every week in Scott Fishbowl this entire season with Zeke in. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in regular redraft leagues, if you if you have him, absolutely. I mean, it depends on, you know, I haven't looked at, at their actual schedule. I'm not sure what they have going on. But uh, I think with Dallas, you know, they, they, yeah. I mean, I think he's, you know, he the talent is there and he's able to produce with Zeke in the mix. So now that he is clear RB1 on that team, then yeah, he's probably a fantasy RB1 too. Makes sense. Um, he's probably not available. That that's uh, you know. I but I thought we should bring him up since Zeke is out. Uh, Chris, I want to ask you about Jamal Williams because uh, DeAndre Swift. He's day to day. We don't really know if Swift is going to miss time. But if he does miss time, Jamal Williams stepped in and had 15 carries, 65 yards, five receptions, only 18 yards receiving, but five receptions on five targets, 15 carries. Is he entering RB one, RB two territory if Swift misses time for that Detroit offense? No, I mean I think so, but. Do we really want to invest in the Detroit's, not just even their backfield, just in their entire offense after seeing the product that they put out on Thanksgiving? It might be difficult for me. That might be one of those, just put them in your roster, don't watch the game, don't even look for any sort of Twitter or social media updates, and then just go and check the box score after everything's all said and done. But I would say that the only positive takeaway was that during the beginning or like earlier parts of the season, like the first three weeks, I mean, there was essentially a decent split between the two. And we saw how uh, Campbell wanted to try and use Jamal Williams and Swift together. I mean, that was where, I mean, Jamal Williams, he had about, let's say, half as many routes as DeAndre Swift throughout that earlier part of the season about half as many targets as him. I think it was about 23 to 14 throughout the first three weeks of the season. So if we already know Jamal Williams' versatility, I mean, we already saw that when he was still in Green Bay, but that also translated into a similar workload when he started in Detroit. Now, if he's going to get that full workload, not really seeing a ton of a ton of guys back behind him that could wind up eating into that. I think we saw the fullback, was it Jason Cabinda, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, starting to work in uh, on Thursday. So so there might be some things that wind up biting into Jamal Williams' workload. But if we've seen anything from uh, from the Detroit's offense, Jamal should have at least a lion's share of it, pun intended. So I would lean more towards like Williams at least having, it. let's say, an RB1 workload, but an RB2 low-end RB2 production. That makes sense, and I enjoy the pun. I appreciate that pun. As a dad, I appreciate that pun. <laughs> Had to work uh, it in. <laughs> Jen, uh, Denver-based, Miami-born uh, born and bred, Philip Lindsay, uh, former Bronco, former Texan, now a Dolphin, 12 carries last week. Your thoughts? 
You know, I, I always love Philip Lindsay. Always rooting for Philip Lindsay. He is like the quintessential underdog, undrafted. You know, bangs out two thousand yard seasons. Like I will always root for Philip Lindsay to marry where he was, where he is. I really, really thought, and we talked about this a lot over the off season. I really thought he was going to emerge in that Houston uh, backfield. He did not. Me too. You know, Miami. I don't know. I mean, I'm happy he's there from a personal level. I'm just not sure. <clears throat> what uh what there will be for him i don't know sure how much meat on the bone there will be for him there i i think that's fair i i just i just i i like philip Lindsay. i'm with you i wanted to talk about him i like him a lot my final buy or sell chris uh our weekly tennessee running back check-in i bring up tennessee that backfield every week uh this week we got a, a tough matchup and we got dontrell hilliard and deontay foreman both over 100 yards against the patriots that it's madness to be, uh, Chris. I I don't know what to think of things. I I everything is up, everything is down. Uh, I need help. I need your help sifting through this. What is going on with the Titans' backfield? And should fantasy managers think anything of it at all? Well, you probably should, given their production last week against, or just yesterday rather, uh, against against the Patriots. And I gotta give them credit. They go into with the, I mean, the the worst matchup that you could possibly think of without having neither Julio Jones nor A.J. Brown. They put up over 200 yards just on the ground. Of course, they wound up getting stomped by the Patriots offense and can barely generate enough offense on their own to score points. But I mean, I have to give Mike Vrabel some credit here. I know he's probably not in like the coach of the year conversation, but given the amount of injuries, I, I would think he'd at least be in the conversation. But that's neither here nor there. With both Foreman and uh, Foreman and uh, Foreman and Hilliard essentially splitting carries. I think there is like some concern with what the workload is going to look like uh, moving forward. But they've got their bye this week in week 13. But then afterwards, uh, they do wind up having to go up against uh, Jacksonville, uh, Pittsburgh, and then San Francisco. I mean, afterwards. So I think like all of that, I mean, those two matchups coming out of their bye with Jacksonville and Pittsburgh should be good enough for us to at least look at either of them as like possible RB2s or flex plays. And that's where at least that would be how I would approach it. So if you don't have any better options, at the very least with Hilliard being involved as both a rusher and a pass catcher, Foreman likely starting and getting most, most of those carries, I think at the very least you've got enough there for you to look at them as RB2 flex plays coming out of their bye. That makes sense to me. I, uh, I I keep starting Deontay Foreman, and it keeps kind of working out, so I guess that's the way it goes. Uh, that's all I've got for buy or sell. <laughs> Let's do a uh, looking ahead segment. Uh, we just talked about Philip Lindsay. This is deep and risky, deep, 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 and really, really, really risky, but Philip Lindsay could get double-digit touches again this year uh, or this week. The Giants, uh, they stink. Dolphins defense has been pretty tough. Giants offense has just been garbage lately. Uh, I got to think there's at least a shot, at least a shot that Philip Lindsay uh, gets touches again this week. So if you're desperate at running back, I kind of like grabbing Lindsay off the waivers and throwing him out there. Uh, Jen, what's your uh, looking ahead segment item? So, you know, I always do kind of a, a stash <clears throat> stash part of the segment. So I'm calling this the backup RB Bonanza. So basically, listen, we, we've seen <laughs> the ridiculous amount of injuries and, and we're heading towards the fantasy playoffs. 
So go grab every run. I mean, every backup you can find, right? It's, it's Khalil Herbert time, Ronald Jones, Naeem Hines, Sony Michelle, Samaji Pirine, Jeff Wilson, Kenyon Drake, all those guys. Obviously, you can't grab them all, but whoever's out there on your waiver wire, if you have the room, just grab them because all of a sudden, you know, they could end up being the starter in the next couple of weeks. Um, as we saw, you know, last week, like what, three, three running backs went down, uh, you know, so as we approach the fantasy playoffs, it could be a difference maker. Grab those backup running backs, handcuff, handcuff in all those redraft leagues. Uh, Chris, uh, what's your looking ahead segment for this week? So I'm looking at Tua. For this week, I know he has a, like a pretty rough matchup against the Giants. They have limited opposing teams to less than 20 points over the past like few weeks. Uh, I mean, quarterbacks alone, like they have, they've had pretty rough outings against them. Although I'm pretty sure there was more, uh, more there for Jalen Hurts if he hadn't thrown those three picks, and especially the one that they had like really like almost at the goal line, if I'm remembering correctly. So regardless of that. I do think that two at least has a decent amount of upside for for this week. If you're not looking at him, Taylor Heineke, who's struggling a little bit tonight against the Seahawks, but he also has a decent matchup against the Raiders, those two guys. But looking even further out from there, I mean, coming out of their bye, which is still hilarious to me that Miami, having played in the London game, still hasn't had their bye. They don't have it until week 14, but coming right out of their bye in week 15, once we're in the playoffs, they play against the Jets at home in Miami. So I think there's at least a decent chance if you are still using the streaming tactic in order to uh, get through the rest of the season, if you have a guy right now, maybe stash two on your bench because he does have a plus matchup coming out of their bye. And hopefully by that time, we might see Devontae Parker or Will Fuller back in the lineup as well to help him move the ball down the field. So that's what I'm looking at moving forward. Listeners, look to uh, look to Chris and my future side podcast, Talking Dolphins, where yeah. we get to just talk about how great the Dolphins are every week. That's what we're going to do. Exactly. I like it. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Chris and Jen. Always a pleasure. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy at Chris Allen FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.